You're listening to Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. Merry Christmas! It's the week of December 23rd and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to the holiday edition of Defender Radio. This week we're celebrating the Christmas season with our good friend Brad Gates of AAA Gates Wildlife Control, APFA Board President Irene Griswold, Canadian Pet Connection Vice President Brandon Forder, as well as some tips on saying no to furry gifts from some of the retail industry's leading experts. For as long as any of us can remember, there's been a Christmas tree at APFA headquarters in Vancouver. It's a tradition that was started by two longtime members and directors, George and Bunty Clements. Joining us to discuss this piece of APFA history is board president Irene Griswold. Hi, Irene. It's a bit of a mystery as to the actual origins of the Christmas tree for the animals at APFA. What can you tell us about the history as you know it? When I went in once, when they were on Renfrew Street, and I was talking to, um, I guess it was Buncey. I didn't even know who I was talking to. I just knew who she was at the time. And I was talking about the tree. And this is what I got from that and other questions I've asked people that her and George were sitting down one day in their kitchen looking out on a snowy, cold, blowy, cold night, and they saw these raccoons coming down the road as they tend to do walking the tire tracks. And and they were saying, look at those raccoons, they must be cold. And then they crossed across a, a patch of snow and went up into a tree and they sort of said... Isn't it nice that these wild animals have a warm place to go and cuddle down on this cold night? And that got them thinking about the wild animals who not only didn't perhaps have a place to go to, but more likely had one and couldn't get to it. And they started once again thinking about, of course, what was their mission, the lake hole trap. And they said, just think of those poor captured animals in lake hole traps in the cold, in pain, I know their mates will sometimes bring them food, but ultimately they are going to die there and wishing they could do just something more at least to to remember the unknown ones by. And apparently she came up with this idea of let's decorate a tree for them. And they went out and bought a little tree in a bucket. And that was the first the first tree for the wild animals. And the tree grew, and the, and the planter got bigger, and they got donations in. And if you sent a donation in, they would uh, put an ornament on or light a light for the for the animals. So by the time I ran into seeing this tree, it was a monster. It was in front of the house on Renfrew that they had rented for an office. And it had to be decorated by... A professional coming in with what they call, I think it's called a cherry picker. It takes you up to the top and all the lights on. It was, it was a monstrous, beautiful, big fruit tree. And uh, that was decorated and that was part of what grew from this one night and this little, you know, buy it in a little planter for probably four ninety five and and let it grow. And so that's sort of the story I have out of it is sort of how it evolved. And it's been so successful this year, we are sending out to members, we're sending out envelopes, and in there are two cardboard um, decorations, and one you send back to them, with the do- back to us, hopefully with a donation, and we will hang it on our tree for, 
for the animals, and the other one you can hang on your own Christmas tree for the animals. The Christmas tree for the animals seems to really be about bringing people together, as it was with George and Bunty, and as it is now. Oh, definitely, definitely, come in and you know it is. It's it's such a loving time of year, and I think generally, if you find people who have a concern and a caring for for animals, then you will find people who have the ability to love, and it just goes together. That. You want to be together, and you like to spend it with people who are striving for the same things you are, and who care about uh, about uh, the the helpless, if you like, uh, those who are being interfered with and made helpless. And so, yeah, it's always a good time, and it's always a happy time to get together. And and we moved, and of course, we moved again, and now we're on on a busy street and there is no tree outside, but we will have one in in our office. No matter how small it gets, there's always space for that tree. To find out more about the Christmas tree for the animals or how you can donate, visit FurBearDefenders.com. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. Over 3 million animals are killed each year in Canada for their fur. This holiday season, why not give the gift of hope to Canada's wildlife by calling 604-435-1850 and giving a holiday gift today. The Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals works to protect wildlife in Canada. Call 604-435-1850 and please, give generously. Give a voice to the animals who can't speak for themselves by calling 604 604- 435-1850. Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com, we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at Bearsmart.com. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America's song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. This is Defender Radio. Though Vancouver is seeing mild drizzles, the rest of Canada is covered in snow, and that means non-human animals are looking for a warm place to settle down. For over 20 years, Brad Gates has developed leading technologies and practices in humanely, and safely, removing wildlife from homes. He joins Defender Radio now to share what we can expect from our furry friends as the mercury heads below zero. Hey Brad, what kind of behavior can we expect to see changing when it comes to squirrels and raccoons? Okay, let's 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 first talk about the squirrels. Um, we have both the red squirrel and the gray squirrel. Uh, at this time of the year, uh, the gray squirrels are hoarding food. They actually will find pine cones and, and acorns and store them inside an attic. Um, I've had customers open up walls during a renovation and literally had a thousand pine cones roll out onto the floor. Um, 
So they're certainly they're very active doing that. They're the only squirrel that does hoard food. Um, the gray and black squirrel bury their food in the backyard, and they're actively doing that now to make sure that they do have food uh, when the weather gets uh, gets worse. And moving forward, squirrels are active um, right through the winter. What tends to happen if you get into temperatures minus 10 or below, they will stay in an attic, spending because it is warmer, obviously, in there than it is outside. So those squirrels are moving about in the attic, spending a lot more time inside than outside, where it's the opposite in good weather. But the problem with that behavior is that they're constantly packing down the insulation in the house, making it ineffective. And in doing so, they expose wires, so there's a, a chance of them chewing on the wire. So certainly having animals in your house throughout the winter is not a good idea. You, you, you want to evict them. Um, and then come sort of late, uh, late winter, they'll be mating. They have a gestation period of about 43 days. So in late February, mid-February, they'll be mating uh, and giving birth um, generally late March, early April. So that's the cycle of, of the squirrels that we deal with. Again, they're not hibernators. Um, then with raccoons, at this time of the year, uh, they're certainly putting on their fat. They're, the animals we're pulling out of chimneys and attics right now are probably about 5 to 10 pounds heavier than they would be during the summer months. So they're um, they're gorging on whatever they can find, whether it be garbage or um, you know the apples are falling off the trees and bird feeders that are out there. They're probably eating more than they would at any other time of the year. Now, mothers with babies still have their babies with them. They stay with them for nine months, which generally gets them early January when the mother has pretty much had enough of them. They're, they're adult size. It would be hard to tell the difference between the mother and the actual babies at that time of the year. So she is ready in early January, um, during, usually during the first warm spell we get, to mate. And she has two options. One is to kick the babies out of her current den, so she has it for herself, or she'll leave the babies in the den site and she'll move on to a, a secondary den site and then start to look for a mate. Um, so during that mild spell I spoke of, um, we will see males and females coming together. Again, it's uh, usually mid to late January, and uh, the male will pursue the female for uh, a period of time. Um, before she'll actually let him mate with her. And the raccoon males that we're pulling out of chimneys at this time of the year, are, or sorry, in January, are completely um, scarred and, and bruised and, and their the ears are often torn up because the female initially isn't responsive and she will fight tooth and nail to keep, uh, to keep the male away until she's actually uh, ready. And I think that pursuit by the male actually brings her into estrus where she's then uh, willing to mate. Um, raccoons during the very cold periods, uh, again, minus 5, minus 10, or if we have a lot of snow cover, they will hold up in an attic. Um, we refer to them as semi-hibernators. They don't, their heartbeat doesn't slow down, the metabolism doesn't slow down, but they can actually sleep in an attic for a month or more when it's really cold just to conserve energy. As you can imagine, it wouldn't make much sense for a raccoon to go outside when everything is buried in snow and the chances of finding food aren't available. So they'll just stay inside an attic and, and wait for the, the weather to break before they go back outside. So that's basically what goes on through the winter with those two species. How about birds and bats? Um, birds tend to be active regardless of the weather. Um, I guess 
they just need to constantly be eating. So there'll be at bird feeders um, looking for food, that sort of thing. And, and they'll spend the nights in areas that are somewhat enclosed. Um, if they can get into an attic, they certainly will, or into a, a vent um, that exhausts for the uh, stove or for the bathroom. Um, so not a lot really going on with them other than, you know, staying warm when they can and, and feeding throughout the day. With respect to bats, um, pretty interesting history um, biologically with them. What they tend to do, as of now, they're, they're either inside homes hibernating, which is called torpor. That's the term used for a bat when it goes into hibernation. Or they have migrated to caves, underground caves. Now, a bat wants to maintain its body temperature at approximately 2 degrees Celsius. Um, if it gets warmer than that, it will come out of hibernation, and that's not a good thing because it, it has fat stores that it needs to maintain, and if it gets too warm and it's active, it's going to start using those fat stores, and it may not survive the winter, especially if we have a winter that goes well into into March and April. So if they're not hibernating in caves, and, they're, and it's usually the big brown bats we see, inside homes, if the temperature fluctuates, especially during that warm spell I spoke of in, in January, those bats will start moving within a house trying to find that two degree Celsius um, area where they can stay in hibernation. But that warm spell often brings them out of their torpor and they move about and eventually they may find their way into a house. So we start to get a lot of calls mid-January. Um, when these animals are moving because they end up popping out inside a basement and then flying around the basement and sometimes get up into the bedroom um, and again that's when we get the call so ideally they the bat would like to stay at two degrees right through the winter but that's not always the case especially inside a house in a cave it's more consistent i saw on your facebook page a while ago a picture of a raccoon tucked up under a car is that common with them yes um not only wildlife, but cats as well, um, and mostly raccoons, are going to seek out the warmth of a car engine. If uh, if they happen to be out or caught outside in an area that they may be not capable of getting back to their original den site, they will crawl up underneath the hood of a car and kind of snuggle up against the, the, warm, the, the warm engine block. And that can be a problem, obviously, because if the car owner isn't aware that the animal is there and hops in the car and starts it and then starts to drive away. Uh, certainly the fan could catch um, onto the animal and harm it seriously. Um, so to prevent that from occurring, it's always a good idea to either open the hood and have a look or certainly banging on the hood and listening for, listening for any activity of an animal moving about uh, and then take the necessary measures to open the hood. Generally opening the hood would be enough for an animal to want to escape and, and climb off the engine and, and run away, and that's that's what we'd like to, to see happen. Um, there's also outbuildings such as, as uh, sheds and those sort of things that they're looking to get in. So any sheds that you may have in your backyard, you want to make sure the doors are securely fastened um, because they will live anywhere, anywhere that's uh, away from the elements. It doesn't always have to be the warmth of an attic that they're looking for or a chimney. They'll, uh, they just want to get away from the, the direct weather, whether it be the snow or, or you know, rain or ice rain and that sort of thing. 
With homeowners outside shoveling and putting up or taking down Christmas lights, is there something they can be doing to help animal-proof their homes? Absolutely. Um, it's actually a very good question. Most homeowners, when they think of what can I do to animal-proof my house, they, they think of capping the chimney and, and nothing else. But in fact, the first step to animal-proofing, in my mind, is to keep the animals off the house. So anytime... And at this time of the year, it's, it's ideal because you're looking at the trees that have no leaves and you can look and see where trees might be overhanging the house or where vines might be climbing up and, and getting to the point where they're actually on the east trough. So if we can trim back the vines away from the roof edge and trim back the trees generally about 10, 10 to 12 feet, um, we're going to prevent them from getting up on the roof. Uh, for the most part. I mean, they can climb walls and they can climb downspouts, but the harder you make it for them to get on your house, the more likely they are to climb up on your neighbor's house, unfortunately. Um, so that's the kind of the first step. Let's let's keep them from getting onto the house. And if they do happen to get up on the house, then certainly we want to have our chimneys capped. We want to uh, screen our roof fence and our plumbing mats. Um, those are the next most vulnerable areas when the animals get up on the roof. You end up saving a lot of money um, to having to evict the animal should it get inside and repairing the damage to insulation and wiring if you're animal-proof minded. If you take these steps, the animals will not get into your home and you won't have the expense of, of repairing all these things we speak of. To find out more about Brad Gates or Gates AAA Wildlife Control, visit www.gateswildlifecontrol.com. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at gateswildlifecontrol.com or call 416-750-9453. After a night out with your friends, there are always options for getting home safely. You could call your BFF, take a cab, or maybe you'll grab the last bus. Now there's a smartphone app to help you choose your ride. Find out more at arrivealive.org. Every year, dogs, cats, endangered species, and even people are caught in cruel leg hold, conibear, and other body gripping traps across Canada. Who will speak out for these innocent victims of an outdated industry? We will. I'm Leslie Fox, Executive Director of the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. With your support, we can bring an end to the needless and painful deaths of hundreds of thousands of animals. Become a member today at FurBearerDefenders.com to find out how you can give hope for our fur-bearing friends. This is Defender Radio. When you open up that lovingly wrapped gift from a family member or friend and see fur, it's best not to throw it down and kick them in the shin. Or so I've been told. In recent weeks, I've been asking some of our guests what they think is the appropriate etiquette when receiving a fur-lined gift for those of us who oppose it. Kemp Edwards of Ethical Profiling. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's 
a tough one. You know, it's it's. I'll give you a, a, an example. I was at uh, at Quantlin Polytechnic last uh, a couple of weeks ago doing a talk, and um, and uh, the intent was certainly in the right place. They they brought me two bottles of water and put them on the stand um, beside where I was talking. And, um, and it was difficult. I wanted to say, I, I don't drink bottled water. Like, I'm against bottled water. Um, so thanks very much for bringing it to me, but I can't actually drink it. Um, and that's, in essence, what I ended up saying. I gave a look um, to the girl, uh, the woman who had brought them to me, and I think she realized right away. Um, so my first thought is, if you can, if you can somehow have the person who's giving you a gift reach their own conclusion as to why that gift might not be appropriate for you and possibly not for anyone else. That's the most powerful thing. Um, the, the alternate route is, you know, that, that is the one that I took to say, oh, thanks so much. I really appreciate the thoughtfulness. I don't actually drink bottled water, and here's why. Um, you know, I don't actually um, wear any products that have fur on them, and here's why. Um, to me, being in the in the scope of work that I'm in, uh, I find that it is 80% education and 20% sales. And if you can educate people, then you don't need to lead the horse to water anymore. They, they you know, they understand. Okay, I get it. I understand why I'm going to be making this purchase. And in the future, I don't need to sell to you. You're going to come to me because you know that I'm offering you the better product or something I've thought about what you haven't thought about yet. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, if someone were to give me a gift like fur mittens, I'd say thank you so much. That's really kind of you. Unfortunately, I don't wear any products with fur because I, I don't support the fur trade. Trisha Stevens of Lush Cosmetics. Ultimately, you'd want to thank the recipient for the gift, but also let them know that you choose to go fur-free or use cruelty-free products without going over the top. Perhaps there's a chance to educate the gift giver. Most importantly, it is the thought that counts. You don't want to make anyone feel bad for, you know, thinking of you in the first place. Leanne May Lee Hilgard of Vote Couture. Well, this was an interesting question because I did read this when you sent me the email and I thought, no, if anyone ever gave me anything that had fur on it, they would not know me at all. It would have to be like a scenario where it was like uh, some sort of work gift, although I work for myself, so that wouldn't happen anymore. Or like, I don't know, maybe my great, great, great aunt Glinda, who like has never seen me and doesn't even know what I do. Um, I would be shocked if someone gave, gave me fur at, and seriously meant it. Um, but as a as a, I guess, probably the closest thing to that is if someone's given me, like, wool gloves or, you know, something with, like, leather detailing on it. And I have had that happen in the past um, where they just didn't realize, you know, they checked and they did their best and um, was really considerate about it but just didn't realize uh, how to read the labels properly, et cetera. Um, in those scenarios, yeah, I usually just, like, as sweetly and sincerely as I possibly can, I, you know, I'll, I'll just smile and, and look at it and let them know, like, oh, I think, and then I'll just check the label and I'll just be like, I'm really sorry, I think this actually has wool in it, I just don't wear wool, but I really appreciate it, it's beautiful, you know, and then um, I'll let them know that I can either take it back or, uh, you know, they, they would prefer to keep it for themselves. 
um, whatever whatever it is. I, I, you know, when it's a gift giver, it's one of those things where you definitely don't want to make them feel bad. But at the same time, I definitely would never want to accept something like that on my behalf and say that I um, wanted to keep the value of someone's life, you know, in my hands and in my closet. So, um, so that's, that's what, that's what I have done in the past. And, uh, usually it's not a big deal because if they know me, if they're giving me a gift, they, they know how important that is to me. Um, but I also know that they'll feel really bad about it as soon as they realize it. So I try to make it as, as little of a deal as possible because I already know that they'll feel bad about it. Share some of your great fur-free gifts with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash furfree. Brandon Forder is the vice president and co-owner of Canadian Pet Connection in Oakville, Ontario. An ethical vegan and supporter of APFA, Brandon is joining us today to share some tips on keeping our pets safe over the holidays. Hey Brandon, what are some of the common things people can be looking for when they want to keep their pets safe over the Christmas holidays? Yeah, of course. I've, uh, a bunch of things come to mind. Uh, I would say one of the first things that come to mind for most pet owners would be uh, the issue with tinsel, um, especially for cats. Um, but I don't think a lot of pet owners realize that uh, tinsel could uh, potentially cause intestinal blockages. And um, generally, you know, the only remedy for that is, is surgery. Um, so tinsel can be a really dangerous thing. So, um, you know, if you have dogs, uh, in the house that are curious, or if you have cats in the house, um, it's better to forego the tinsel for something that might be a little more animal appropriate. Um, but other things as well, like a lot, a lot of issues surrounding the actual Christmas tree itself. So things like the Christmas tree lights, um, I, I generally don't advise to put a lot of decorations or lights, um, on the lower branches of the tree. Um, it just, uh, it's a big risk, you know. Animals can get tangled in these um, in these wires. Um, you know, the lights could be a burning hazard, depending on what kind of lights you're using. Um, you know, and cats uh, and dogs they love to chew on stuff, so you obviously don't want to uh, you don't want to have a cat or a dog getting a shock from chewing through any electrical wires like that. So um, I generally uh, don't recommend putting a lot of decorations on the bottom part of the tree, depending on how big your animals are. Um, but ornaments as well, it's a big issue. Um, you know, dogs and cats can choke on these things. They can break them, and, uh, you know, shards from these broken ornaments can, you know, injure them. Uh, they can they can swallow them and do all sorts of damage to different parts of the body. Um, so it's always to keep the ornaments higher up or go with the, um, you know, the, the indestructible um, uh, ornaments. But those still aren't even dog-proof. They're more just um, shatter-resistant, I guess, if you drop them. But if a dog is going to chew on them, there's really nothing that's going to stop that. Um, now, also pine needles for pet owners who like to do, um, uh, you know, the real authentic Christmas trees. Um, pine needles don't seem dangerous to most people, but uh, if dogs and cats were to consume these pine needles, there's the risk that they could, you know, puncture the intestines or they could, um, you know, certainly um, uh, cause irritation to the point where, you know, medical attention is necessary. So it's it's really important to make sure that trees are well hydrated and to make sure that you're constantly picking up, um, uh, you know, all the pine needles just to, just to make sure that nothing's getting uh, getting consumed. Um, but we also look at other things um, that sort of support the Christmas season, like burning candles. It's a common sense thing, but it makes sense that, uh, you know, any kind of, uh, you know, uh, open flame shouldn't be anywhere that's accessible by dog or cat. So keeping them up high on mantles or having them in some sort of um, like a protective um, container of some sort, um, that, that's, um, that's a very smart thing to do. Um, now, I would also advise uh, pet owners to be cautious of things like, 
uh, holly, mistletoe, and poinsettias. You know, these plants are poisonous to dogs and cats, and as a result, I don't recommend these to be in any household where there are dogs and cats, even if they're out of reach. You know, um, leaves and petals fall off and end up settling on the ground, and you just don't want to take the chance. So I, I recommend substituting for other um, animal-safe plants. They may not be as seasonal as... Um, or I guess Christmas-related, as the uh, holly, mistletoe, and poinsettia would be, but um, it's, I don't think it's worth taking the risk. I've got to think that over the years you've seen some strange problems, too. What are some of the lesser-known dangers? Uh, <laughs> yeah, one, one that comes to mind is uh, uncooked yeast dough. Um, so there's a lot of baking that's generally done over the holidays, um, so when you have uncooked yeast dough, it's fairly concentrated, and when you cook it or add heat to it, it expands. So what happens is if a dog or a cat were to uh, consume uncooked yeast dough, the product will expand and it can uh, produce quite a bit of gas in the digestive system. And um, this could result in something as simple as just a little bit of digestive upset, but it could also cause um, you know, lots of pain uh, in the digestive system. And then there's also the risk of things like rupture of the stomach uh, or intestines, uh, depending on how much gas is produced by this uh, yeast dough. Um, so keeping uncooked, um, you know, bread products uh, is, uh, should be kept away from animals all the time. But I would also say that um, artificial sweeteners, there's a lot of candies, um, you know, breath mints, candies, uh, candy canes, gums, and a lot of these products contain xylitol, um, which is a very common product uh, ingredient found in a lot of human foods, but it's uh, very toxic to dogs. And uh, so these kinds of things should be kept way out of reach um, uh, for dogs and cats. Uh, I would say those would probably be two of the lesser-known um, hazards, or Christmas-related hazards, I guess. It's not just people who get stressed out during the holidays. What should pet owners know to ensure their furry friends don't feel the stress? Most definitely. Well, I would say... Um, the, the, the problem is around the Christmas season, everybody's so busy. So what tends to happen is dogs and... Uh, not cats to the same extent, but dogs tend to get less exercise, um, you know, and so not only is it a stressful, transient environment, but um, you have animals that aren't getting the same kind of exercise that they're used to, so there's all this pent-up energy, so I really do reinforce uh, pet owners to make sure that they commit to giving their dogs plenty of exercise, and it's, it, even if you're having family over or you're ha you have a busy household, to increase your pet's exercise over the holidays because a, um, a, ha a, you know, a tired dog is a happy dog, it's a stress-free dog, um, and uh, th that's a very important thing that I think a lot of people overlook. But I think um, in households where, you know, you're welcoming guests into your home and you have, you have pets, I think it's important for the guests to be aware of any household rules that you have. So, um, you know, for example, things like not feeding the dog from the table or, um, you know, how permissible begging is and things like that, it's, um, you know... Uh, if your guests don't really know what these rules are, then you might find that dogs are more likely to take advantage of these people, and that's where you, sorry, that's where behavioral problems can happen. Um, so I think it's really important to communicate that with your guests. Um, now, also a great thing is to provide the right types of incentives to dogs, so they're not um, consumed with all of the stress and the anxiety that's surrounded by all the commotion. So being able to have a set of Christmas goodies that um, that are specific just for your 
pet. So, you know, a special toy or some, you know, special treats or some chewies that can occupy some time so it can give, you know, your dog a, a good, controlled, safe, calm environment and you, uh, where he doesn't have to necessarily worry about all the commotion that's going on in the rest of the house. I'd say those are probably, you know, three or four of the, the best tips that I can give um, pet owners of, uh, as far as reducing the, their pet stress and the anxiety levels. To find out more about Brandon or Canadian Pet Connection, visit www.canadianpetconnection.com or find them on Facebook and Twitter. That's all we have time for today, folks. As always, I'd like to thank Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control for his ongoing support of Defender Radio and APFA, as well as all of our guests for their time. On behalf of all of us at APFA, Have a very merry and safe Christmas and a happy new year. This is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. We'll see you in 2014.